Well, I do want to greet you all this morning in the name of our Lord Jesus. Uh, in spite of being in our homes, we are gathered together uh, just via the internet and having this opportunity to worship together as a local church here in Pretoria. Others joining with us this morning, welcome to you too. Uh, perhaps you're outside of Pretoria. You used to be at Central Baptist Church and perhaps living in a faraway place. Just greetings to you this morning as well. A couple of notices just as we begin our service and then we're going to move on uh, to a focused time of worship. Uh, I do want to mention this morning just our condolences. Uh, one of our members, Kathy Pays, lost her mom. Her mom passed away this uh, past week. And so just to Kathy... Uh, sincere sympathy and may God strengthen and be with you as a family as you grieve the loss of your mom. Then just to add as well, much appreciation and encouragement uh, to the way that you, the church, responded to the prayer time that we had on Monday. And uh, we prayed together for the unexpected uh, events that took place uh, from Sunday through Monday, Tuesday, just praying for stability and peace in the country. And I do want to encourage you to continue to pray as well. But I do want to add this morning that there are many people that are suffering as a consequence of what took place last week. I understand from what I hear from pastors and churches down in especially the KwaZulu-Natal area that many people are hungry. And so we would like to do something as a church. We would like to stand with those who are helping, who are close to where uh, much hunger is taking place. And so I am inviting you this morning, if you would like to donate any gift, any money, you can deposit that in the church bank account, but designate it as hunger relief. And we will then ensure that that money gets to the right place where it would be used um, in a way that we are confident it will not be wasted, but certainly bring about some kind of relief uh, to some people at least who are struggling at this point in time. But we are going to worship the Lord and uh, focus this morning on praise. I, I thought to begin the service by looking at a couple of phrases from Psalm 150. The psalmist writes, he says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in the, in the mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. And then he gets to the end of the psalm and he says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Our Father in heaven, we worship and adore You. And we acknowledge Your greatness and our brokenness. As our country and its citizens are in a state of shock at this recent horrific events of lawlessness unleashed upon us, we come to you this morning and join in prayer with Christians around the world to plead with you, O God, to restore peace and that all those who have lost loved ones, businesses, may find comfort in your providence and in your presence. May these tragic events bring your flock closer to you, O Lord, and closer to one another. But we rejoice, dear Lord, that the prince of this world, as he seeks to deceive and destroy, has already been defeated on the cross at Calvary. We rejoice 
that we, your people, are not bound by earthly things, but that our treasure is with you in, in heaven for all eternity. Thank you for that assurance, O oh God, to understand that the things of the earth are temporal, but that you alone are eternal. We pray for those at Central who are struggling with illnesses, financial challenges, and emotional challenges. We pray, we pray especially for those whose walk of faith is currently under attack. We pray that you will draw near to each one of those members and by your Spirit, O oh God, remind them afresh of your greatness and your love for each one of them. Strengthen them, O oh Lord, and bind the evil one as he seeks to discourage them. We thank you, Lord, for your word and for your servant who will open it and seek to explain it to us. Strengthen and encourage him as he leads us, your flock. Thank you for providing so faithfully to the ministry at Central, O Lord, and we pray that you may continue to do so as we seek to spread the gospel of our Saviour Jesus Christ to the lost world. May you bless us all, near and far, our Father, in this very unique gathering to truly understand that the ills of mankind can only be remedied by repentance at the foot of the cross of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. So we do pray for your blessing upon the service now, O Lord, and we pray this in our Saviour Jesus Christ's precious name. Genesis 5 verse 1 to 11 This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived, after he fathered Enosh, 807 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived, after he fathered Kenan, 815 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. We're going to turn to the book of Hebrews again this morning. And so do take up your Bible, follow with me. And I want to go back this morning to just the end of the passage that we considered last week. It was quite a, a large section, very difficult to focus in, in detail and application. And so it's going to be verse 15 and 16 that we're going to focus on this morning in depth. But uh, follow with me in your Bible. I'm going to read from verse 12 onwards, just to give us some of the context, uh, remind you of something of what we did touch on last week as well. Reading then from verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For yet we have no lasting city, but we seek the city 
that is to come. Now verse 15. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share uh, what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So just so far, uh, God's word this morning uh, read to us. Please bow your heads as we pray once again, coming to uh, God uh, in prayer. Lord, we thank you for access to your throne of grace. That this morning as we meet together and as we seek to minister, as I seek to preach your word, not doing so, Lord, just in human ability, but thank you, Lord, for the reality that we uh, have the blessing of abiding in you and you in us, and therefore knowing that with you much fruitfulness uh, can be produced. And so we do pray, I pray this morning, Lord, for your word to open our hearts continually, Lord, sanctifying us, continuing to change us and and mold us into your likeness. And may we this morning, Lord, uh, be able to live lives uh, with much thanksgiving to you, but pleasing to you. May you, Lord, be pleased. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I did go back to this passage and uh, want to just dig into it a little bit and, and trying to understand what it means for us as Christians. And I thought uh, quite providentially with the unfolding of the events of this week, but what is it? What does it mean for us Christians to carry out our duty toward God above? There's a duty we have towards God. And what about our duty to those around us? To men and women around us. Well, in my efforts to research the subject, I started what I thought would be uh, at the, the basic end of things, and I looked up a dictionary meaning of duty. And this is what I found duty can be defined as something that is done as part of a job, something that you must do because it is morally right. Or because the law demands it. Now that's just a a secular definition. It's a definition from an English dictionary. But I do ask the question, is that the sum total of Christian duty? Or is there something more? There is more. There is definitely, definitely something more. And so again, I started thinking and I wondered, well, in what way can I illustrate? In, in what way can I understand and perhaps help us to understand that there is much more to our understanding, to our expression in fulfilling our responsibility in Christian duty toward God and, of course, also toward man? Well, my thoughts went back to an experience or an experience I had in a season in my life as a child, around about eight or nine years old, uh, my mom and dad sent me off to Cubs. Uh, I don't know if you know what uh, Cubs are, but uh, Cubs were the sort of the, the junior movement of the Boy Scout uh, group. And a little bit more just about the Cub movement. If you've never heard of it, it was a movement started by Baden-Powell. And uh, he did so, of course, for older boys and then for younger 
uh, boys. And I remember my sisters going to the girl version, which was called Brownies. But the 8 to 10-year-old boys uh, went and got together, and, and their meetings uh, followed a theme along the book by Rudyard Kipling, The Jungle Book. Now, I'm sure most of you have read or uh, seen or perhaps even watched a movie about The Jungle Book. Well, cubs uh, met around that particular theme. Uh, the human boy, Mowgli, was uh, rescued by the, the wolf pack, and uh, they looked after him, and, and the leader of the wolf pack was Arkela. Some of you perhaps also remembering uh, days at Cubs. Well, we met weekly, and there was a ritual, there was a routine that we followed week by week as these meetings got together, and at the start and, and the end of each meeting, we would gather in the circle around our leader, and the leader was called Arkela, the leader of the pack. Uh, Arkela stood on a box, uh, meant to represent a, uh, a rock as uh, the leader of the pack. And we gathered around as little boys in a circle. And then we, we did something. We went down, and I can't demonstrate you because you won't see me. We, we squatted. We went down. We went right down like this, all in a circle. And, and we would repeat a phrase beginning of the meeting and at the end of the meeting and 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 we would we would shout out together dib 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 Arkela we will do our best and then and then we would jump up and we would salute with two fingers representing the ears of a wolf well that was cubs it was good fun to be a cub it really was good fun and if you know anything about the Cub and the Scout movement, uh, we loved to do what was required of us as Cubs. We did it to the best of our ability. It took my memory back, my mind back to us doing a thing called Bob a Job. Uh, Bob was 10 cents and we would go around in our community and we'd mow somebody's lawn for 10 cents or we'd wash uh, somebody's car for 10 cents and, and, and we happily did it. We enthusiastically did it. We, we worked towards different badges, uh, going camping, making fires, learning how to do knots. But, but it was great to be a cub and, and we fulfilled our duty with great enthusiasm. Well, the way cubs and boy scouts tackle their duties I believe is closer, it's closer to the way we Christians ought to tackle our duties, but it's still not quite there, because it's still a man thing. And that's where I want to differentiate this morning. That's still a man thing. In spite of the enthusiasm, in spite of the, the zeal and, and the responsibilities carried out, you see, the difference for us believers is that there is an inward impulse of devotion and loyalty to God. But that inward impulse is brought about by the work of the Holy Spirit. So God at work in us. The Holy Spirit applying what Jesus did on the cross, the redemptive work of Christ, all that he accomplished on the cross into the lives, massaging that into the lives of people, bringing about inward change in attitude and action. So having said that, let's go back to 
our context of the Hebrew believers. They were being reminded that the outward rituals of Judaism, the ceremonies and the feasts and, and all that they did, had now been fulfilled by Jesus. They were obsolete. And therefore the beginning of the passage I read this morning. So Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. So there's a sequence of thinking. There's thought going on here. Calling them, calling them now because of what Jesus has done, what the Holy Spirit has applied, and giving them marching orders. Calling them to resist false teaching, which was the focus of last week's message, to persevere in the face of suffering, understanding, even as Eugene prayed in his prayer this morning, understanding that we are passing through, that there's a city to come, but... In the meantime, we have responsibilities, we have duties. In the meantime, we've got to get on with our God-given duty. Which brings us to verse 15, and I want to read those two verses again. So through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, Verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So what do we find here? These two verses, God through the author, urging us believers, the Hebrew Christians back then, us today, urging us in two areas of Christian duty. I've called the first duty we are to abound. We are to abound in fervent praise to God. Now, once again, we do need to dig a little bit into the passage and see something of the context and the reference back to the Old Testament practices. And we find that in the Old Testament, the sacrifices were offered were not only offerings for sin. And if you're aware of that, we understand, yes, there was the sacrifice for the atonement of sin. Sin had to be covered. The wrath of God uh, was averted and, and appeased as, as they looked forward to, to that which was to come in Jesus. But, but there was also a sacrifice of dedication. That's where I want to focus, and I believe our passage focuses on this morning. And the purpose of the sacrifice of dedication was to express thanksgiving to God by the people for accepting their sacrifice for sin. And so therefore the first reason I want to argue this morning, I believe our passage argues this, we must abound in fervent praise to God, number one, because we have been given the greatest gift of all. The sacrifices of thanksgiving back in the Old Testament were material sacrifices. The Jew would bring an ox or a sheep or a goat and they would offer those animal sacrifices to God on the altar. And in doing so, they would be communicating something. They would be saying something to God. 
God, I'm thankful to you. God, I'm grateful to you. I recognize the wonder, the amazement of what you've done in providing a sacrifice for sin. Well, that's the emphasis which the author wants to bring to his readers in this passage. The Christian is duty-bound. We are duty-bound in a God way to present Thank offerings, thank offerings to God. Now, what is the offering that, that we Christians then bring to God? Not the ox, not the goat, not a sheep. We are to bring ourselves. Have a look at that verse 15 again. Through him, let us then continually offer up a, offer up a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of of lips that acknowledge his name. Now, a very interesting phrase, superficial reading of that phrase, uh, a fruit of our lips, uh, could lead us to a wrong conclusion. We need to understand the fruit of our lips as described, as given to us in, by Paul in Philippians chapter 2. It's not just what you say, but what, what, what is behind what you say, what you believe and, and what you do and, and everything that the name of Jesus represents. In other words, in Philippians 2 verse 10, as we anticipate the day of Jesus coming, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. And that ought to be reflected in the thank offering and the praise that we bring in the present. Those of us who are believers, putting it into a single sentence, it is not mere lip service, it's life service. It is you and me offering our duty, bringing our lives as a daily offering to God. Doing so, why do we do that? In response to to. To, to that which he has done for us, this great gift of salvation, rescuing us from condemnation, rescuing us from wrath, and giving us a place uh, in his family, in his presence for all eternity. City Stud. I think many of you would have heard of City Stud. Uh, went off as a missionary, and uh, just to quote him on this particular issue, he says, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice that I could ever make for him could ever be too great. Isn't that true? If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice I could ever make for him could be great. And the scriptures are very clear on this. Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul makes a very similar appeal. It says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, all that is done in grace, present your bodies, your life, as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. See, what we need to recognize that there is nothing too big to offer if, if, if you understand, if you have experienced, if you take into account the greatness of what Jesus has done for you. 
So where is this taking us? Worship is far more than five songs and a prayer and a reading and a sermon and having some fellowship after a gathering. Worship is much, much broader, much bigger. It's all for him. It's all to him. Every aspect, every dimension of our lives, whether it be career, whether it be family, whether it be money, whether it be belongings, house, car, whatever you want to make, our culture, our talent, our gifts, our attitude, our politics, in submission to and in commitment to God. Don't ever forget, we believers have been given the greatest gift of all. But I want to move on and see as we continue now that our worship must abound in fervent praise to God because the Christian's privileges greatly exceed those that belong to the Jews. And I've simply put it this way. We have superior privileges. We believers, we Christians have superior privileges. See, the Jewish worshiper could not offer sacrifices to God directly. He had to allow the priests to officiate for him on his behalf. Whereas we Christians have been made priests unto God. And we can bring our sacrifice directly to God. Our sacrifice of praise. And, and, and so to quote uh, Alistair Begg in this instance, he says, The sacrifice of praise which we bring is offered through Jesus. And only through Jesus. You do not offer the sacrifice to the functions of Judaism. You do not offer the sacrifice of praise by means of saints and angels. And perhaps we could add ancestors. You do not offer the spiritual worship by means of the Virgin Mary. It is only through Jesus. Take note of the exceeding greatness of the privilege from the book of Hebrews. And I'm going to go back to just a couple of verses, chapter 10 and verse 10. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. Done. Verse 11. Every priest, now he's referring back to the Old Testament, stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Can you see the privilege? On top of all that he has done for us, that which they did at particular time and at certain designated places, not so for us. The believer, the Christian, has the privilege through Christ to offer this sacrifice of praise to God anywhere, anytime, to do so continuously. And, and let me add that even the COVID restriction does not prevent you or restrict you from bringing your sacrifice of praise to God. 
But there's another reason as to why we must abound in fervent praise. I've called this that the fact that God is supremely worthy. While the Jews, if we go back to the beginning of the uh, book of Hebrews, while the Jews had God speaking uh, to them and, and, uh, and, 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 and doing so through the prophets at many times and in many ways, we Christians have God speaking to us by His Son. Now, why about Gonya? This is not part of our immediate passage, but there is an important aspect of our sacrifice of praise, our response to God, our duty to God, that we must always keep in mind. We understand, we have as Christians, a more comprehensive knowledge of God. To refer to what Paul says to the Corinthians in chapter two and verse, uh, chapter four and verse six, the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I've added this aspect this morning, and, and there's an implication, this broader context to remind you that your duty to God, the offering of your life to Him as a living sacrifice of praise, is not just for the gifts He gives you, but for who He is. We know more comprehensively than they did who He is, because God is unlike any other. And, and some of this they saw. But as we look at Jesus, as we understand the life of Jesus, as we hear the teaching of Jesus, if we see the actions and, and, and the, the, the work that Jesus did, we see a greater picture of who God is. And so therefore, how can we then not abound in fervent praise? As we continue, just in daily life, regular in the regular exercise of faith. And I want to add a comment here about our faith. Our faith is crucial. Our faith in the context of giving to God fervent praise, responding to Him, responding to His Word, responding to His work by the Spirit, and it leads us, it should lead us, it must lead us to refuse doubt as to who God is and the revelation of all that is done and promised and accomplished through Jesus. Always mindful, always mindful, reminding, uh, reminding uh, us is A.W. Pink, he says something about doubt. Doubt snaps the strings of our hops. Unbelief is the deadly enemy of praise. Our duty to God is to abound in fervent praise to Him. But I want to move on now to the second duty. In verse 16, abound in acts of kindness to others. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. Now again, the usefulness of all of the Bible all of the revelation, we need to understand that verse 15, verse 15 has shown us our great obligation Godward. 
to God himself? What, what is it that we, we, we serve him and respond to him in? What is our duty God with? And abounding in praise is what I've tried to do or try to show you. That has come about, we understand, through the sanctification, uh, through the work of Christ, through the blood of Christ, that and it's, a, it's an obligation that has been placed on us through that which he has done. But now, verse 16, verse 16 follows. Verse 16 makes known what influence that work ought to have on our conduct, manwards. Godward, vertically, manward, horizontal relationships. In other words, I can put this perhaps in simpler words. We cannot avoid the challenge, real challenge to us, uh, believers, every one of us, we cannot avoid the challenge that since redemption places us under obligations to love God with all our hearts and all our minds and all our strength, yes, it likewise places us under obligation to love our neighbors as ourselves. Matthew Henry uh, quoting on this, says, or commenting on this, says, Thanksgiving is good, but thanks living is better. So we go back to Exodus and the Ten Commandments, the law as revealed from God to Moses, written on two tablets of stone. But you cannot separate that which is taught on the two tablets from each other. One tablet representing our responsibility and duty toward God, and the other tablet representing our responsibility and duty toward man. A.W. Pink, and I quote him, he says, To disregard the second table of the law is not only to inflict injury upon our neighbors, but it is to displease God himself. There is a harmony in obedience and a failure in any one point disturbs the whole. Well, that's what we have in the book of James, chapter 2 and verse 10. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder if you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And so therefore, <coughs> we can see here that Hebrews uh, closes such sacrifices, Godward and manward, are pleasing to God. Now if we look back, we see that Israel failed horribly at this particular point. And we're going to look at some of the specifics. Instead of uh, treating their servants fairly, they were cruel to them. Instead of caring for the widows, they robbed them. Instead of relieving the poor, they oppressed them. And, and while all of this was going on, they were strict in keeping their worship to God. I'm going to give you just one example. There were others I saw, but uh, just one example. That this inconsistency, it's a serious inconsistency 
is unacceptable to God. And we're going to look at the example from Isaiah chapter 58. In this chapter, we see that Isaiah is required by God to point out the sins of Israel. To do so, even though we see in verse 2, that in their minds, in their experience, they sought God daily. It, it is said of them that they delight to know my ways. We read that they were diligent in fasting. But then as we continue to read, we see that they are puzzled. People of Israel are puzzled. Why does God not recognize and take notice of their fast? Well, the response from God through the prophet, he clarifies the situation and he says to them in verse 4, Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. So what you're doing is not pleasing to me. Your kind of fasting is despicable. Then the passage goes on and God gives them a description of the kind of fast that he chooses. And again, I'm going to refer to some of the verses. Isaiah chapter 58, he says, the kind of fasting that, that I'm expecting or looking for, the kind of fasting that pleases me, is to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house, and when you see the naked, to cover him, to hide yourself from your own flesh. See, God is pointing out here, it cannot just be duty in terms of the first table of the law. It's manward, and it's, at least it's Godward, and it's manward. It cannot be separated, they cannot be separated from each other. And as Isaiah 58 unfolds, we see that this regard for others, especially those who are less fortunate and those who are suffering, it's that which is pleasing to God. And, and in verse 8, if you do things God's way, then shall your light break forth like dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be uh, your rear God. And he continues, verse 9, Then, if you do that, you shall call. The Lord will answer. You shall cry. And he will say, Here I am. You take away the yoke from the midst, uh, from your midst, the pointing of the finger and, and, and speaking wickedness. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your, shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom as in the noonday. Do, do you get the point? Godward, manward. The question, the challenge is, are we, like the Hebrew believers, meticulous in the performance of public worship, yet careless in attending to our private duties? I guess some are and some aren't. But I do want to go on to another point and ask the question as we explore this reality. Why the sinful neglect of the acts of kindness? The sinful neglect, and I've chosen my words carefully here, 
The sinful, it's not just neglect. It's neutral or amoral. It's sinful. The sinful neglect of doing good to others. And I'm going to use some uh, phrases from John Owen, but I'm going to try and put them in in modern day English. Uh, uh, He says that this sinful neglect emerges for a number of reasons. And uh, I'm going to give you at least some of them. Number one. We people have a tendency uh, to have an unwarranted trust in religious duty. Now, what do, we, what do we mean by that? Well, some professing believers set a high but unrealistic value on their religious acts, thinking, thinking that what they will do on Sunday is sufficient, and what they've done in, say, perhaps a dedication or a baptism or, 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 or going to a Bible study or some kind of duty, that that will earn them acceptance with God and a place in heaven. So there's a focus, a focus on these religious duties, but to no avail. Second reason, most of us, have a tendency to choose what I would want to call the softer option in life. It's easier to go to the house of prayer and sing God's praises and feel your duty done than to visit the poor and to wait on those who are sick. Isn't that true? The third reason is at the core of neglect. An absence of a kind heart and a generous disposition which effectual grace will produce. That that is a reason why there's no concern for doing good to others. Just an absence because grace is not present. The Spirit of Christ in the heart will produce consideration, concern for others and counteract this, this innate selfishness. You put it in simple English. Where Christ is absent, the devil rules the heart. See, duty to do good to others springs from received grace in the believer's heart. Generosity from God to unworthy sinners will open the hands and heart and the pocket of previously tight-fisted, selfish people. Titus chapter 2 verse 14, who gave himself for us, that's speaking of Jesus, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Think of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Another reason why doing good to others is often absent is just a lack of compassion for suffering people because of hardness of heart. It's so easy to get so caught up in one's own life and actually just to become callous and insensitive and uncaring about people who find themselves in difficult and hard and suffering circumstances. Well, those are some 
some of the things we can consider, uh, hard things to consider. But in a message like this, or in response to a message like this, we ought to be searching our hearts. God does require of us to be occupied with acts of benevolence. We ought to do good to others. It's part of our Christian duty, and we need to get specific. It means we need to be involved in the feeding of the hungry. We need to be involved in clothing of the naked or relieving the distressed, encouraging the sick, caring for the widow and the orphan, acting justly and showing kindness, visiting the lonely. And I'm sure that list can go on and on. And so I want to move on next then to ask another question, and this is a little bit now positively, uh, how to be diligent? How can we be more diligent in doing acts of kindness? I want to learn, Lord, how can I, how can I do better? How can I do more in the area of uh, showing kindness and doing good to others? Well, there are some practical ways in which you can be ready to do good, and I'm going to uh, go through a number of of them that I've jotted down in, in my notes here. If you're a believer, and the Lord has touched your life, and we've spoken about that these, there are these two areas of duty, Godward and manward, there is a need for you and me to have a readiness of mind. What do I mean by that? You see, there is no need to wait until you've been asked to do something. We Christians need to nurture, we need to cultivate, we need to be alert to the needs around us. We mustn't walk around with blinkers on our eyes. We need to be looking and we need to be seeing and, 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 and seeing those around us. And, and when we're back at church, the person sitting around you, the person in the Bible study, somebody listed in the bulletin, we need to be alert, we need to be sensitive. There are people all around us, who have needs. Let's not be blind to that. Number two, idealizing and theorizing must be translated into action. It's great to have ideas. It's great to come up with all sorts of schemes of how we could possibly do good to others. But it can't stay there. It's got to be translated into the actual doing of something. Or as John puts it in, in his letter, 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Some of us think to change the world, but do nothing for our neighbor. It's not pleasing to God. Here's a third one. Do what you can do where you are. The old phrase, charity begins at home, I believe has some useful truth. You see, it may be, it may be, it could be that you can help someone in outer Mongolia. Yes, that, that's possible. It's good. But it's more likely and it's more practical for you to be involved with those in your sphere of influence. What are you doing about those that God has placed you providentially in community with? Those of us at Central Baptist Church, 
That's why we get to know each other, not only to be encouraged, but also to support each other, to do good to each other, to be aware of the needs of each other. And you do what God is leading you to do with those closer to you, and, and I do, and this person does, and that person does, and, and so good to others is being carried out as well. I have a fourth one here. Take responsibility for what you must do. I have seen this again and again, and perhaps even been guilty of it myself. We at times have a tendency to judge and to criticize others for what they are not doing. How do you know what they're doing or what they're not doing? How do I know? I've come to see, as I've lived amongst this congregation at Central now for 20-odd years, that many of us, many of us, who are accused of forgetting to do good, are in fact practicing what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 3. When you give to the needy, do not let your, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, there are members among us who are not shouting from the rooftops. They're not publishing for public uh, uh, knowledge everything that they do. Everything they've done. Wonderful things have been done over the years, even in the present, by members of our church. I've heard not one, but a number paying for the education of their servants' children. Right through to the end of university, I've heard of others who provide finance and support for their servants to build a home. We've experienced, even in this COVID season, many anonymously providing support, large sums of money, for the poor and the suffering. I'm aware of others who support poor pastoral families, where congregations can't afford to pay their pastors. Many, every year, we see the abundant provision of food and blankets for the homeless. Every month, we notice that our benevolent budget is always being topped up by giving, anonymous giving. And there are those involved in visiting and caring for orphans, and I'm sure many other things. And so my point is this, may it be true of all of us, that we abound in acts of love and kindness to others. Be concerned in the acts of kindness toward others. And I want to go to one final question an important practical question. To what extent are you to do good? How much? Well, verse 16 says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. So we do have a duty, it's very clear here, to pass on to others from what God has entrusted to us. Now again, the English translation is not always uh, as accurate as it could be. Literally, the Greek word here signifies Having something in common with others. Koinonia. We are to share with the poor. We are to share with the less fortunate and the indigent according to our ability. God is not asking you to do or requiring a duty from you that is not within your means. Sharing from what we have 
is what is required, but we ought to share. Those who have much ought to share much. Now, the danger is, oh, well, he, he or she is wealthy. They, they can. No, all of us can. All of us ought to. It's a Christian responsibility. Share according to what we have. This is a sermon that every one of us believers can respond to. We can all abound more in fervent praise to God. There's no doubt about that. We're still being sanctified and we ought to continue to be growing in our obedience and consecration to God. I believe also that every one of us can abound more in acts of mercy to others. My point is simply this. None of us has arrived. And I want to insert, just in, before I make my final comment in this conclusion, let us not forget salvation by grace. Let us not forget what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 7. Oh, what a wretched man I am. Living in this context of, of knowing that, that I'm still being sanctified, that I still struggle with sin, that I still fail and fall short of the glory of God. And he goes on and he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Always in the context of the gospel, duty Godward, duty manward. And so I am asking this morning, will you, in response to God's generous grace through Christ, commit yourself to greater efforts and energy prompted by the Spirit, stirred by the Spirit, in giving yourself in the sacrifice of praise to Him? And determine, and we have an opportunity right now, determine to do good to others. I'm going to pray, but just to explain, we're going to actually have two songs in closing. One after I've prayed, and then I want to comment, and then we're going to have the final song before we conclude the service. Lord, thank you that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful. Uh, for correction, for rebuke, for training in righteousness. And Lord, may that be true in each of our lives today. May we be as those who are duty-bound to you in the right God-honoring and God-pleasing way, we pray. Amen.